Well, thank you, Mr. Todd Dunn. Gets a little confusing sometimes, but, you know, we work through it. Well, as I said, my name is Todd Misfeld. I'm on staff here at Christ Community Church as a Congregational Care and Discipleship Director. And before I start, though, I want to ask a blessing on this message. So, dear God, ask you bless my words. Ask that the Holy Spirit speaks through me. May the same Spirit open our ears to hear the message intended for each and every one of us. And I ask this all through Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. So, can I uh, see a show of hands? How many other people where Ecclesiastes is among their favorite books? Wondering if I'm alone. Okay, I, I see some fellow lovers of Ecclesiastes there. Well, today I'm going to wrap up the last of our four-part series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is... My favorite book because it rings so true of the life that I see around me. And if a book is that true, it deserves to be listened to. Now, Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. It's one of the wisdom books. And when we say it's a wisdom book, it doesn't give us prophecy. It doesn't give us God's law. Instead, it gives us advice on how we can best live to find meaning in our lives, to obey God and to not lead us ourselves into sin. Now, for those of you who haven't been around for the last three weeks, I want to remind us of some of the things we've already learned about Ecclesiastes. And the first is that Ecclesiastes is a little eccentric in that it leads with what we should not do, not with what we should do. In other words, it provides us wisdom on how we can, what practices are unwise and may lead us into sin. So Ecclesiastes starts off in chapter 1, verse 1, with these words. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And Ecclesiastes then keeps on going with the list of even more things that are meaningless. So who are we listening to? Who wrote this book? Well, it's credited to King Solomon, King David's son and successor to the throne of Israel. And he calls himself the teacher in those first few lines, and, and I'm going to use that term for the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> so the teacher is someone who has had enough time and resources to explore how do we find meaning under the sun, as he calls it. But before I get started, sorry for the long introduction, there are three words or phrases that are critical to understanding Ecclesiastes. And the first two you've heard before. The first one is meaningless. Other translations use words like smoke or vapor or it's pointless or it's useless. I, I kind of like vapor myself. Have you ever found that trying to get meaning out of life is like trying to grab hold of the smoke from a candle? Or, or like a cat trying to chase a laser pointer on the floor? 
these are fruitless efforts. They will never be satisfied. The second word or phrase is under the sun. That sun as in S-U-N, as in the sun in the sky above us. And from reading a class, so we we may think that under the sun means all that there is. But if you look at Ecclesiastes, under the sun really is talking about what's on earth. Not everything that's under God's control. We can contrast living under the sun to living under heaven, if you will. So under the sun is all that we can do with human effort, that is, without God. And if we pursue earthly goals, our effort is meaningless. That's what the teacher is telling us. And lastly, new for today, there's a thing that Ecclesiastes talks about, and that's a season. There is a season or time for everything in our lives. And chapter 3 begins with some of these. Verse 1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. Thinking of our lives in terms of seasons is a useful way to organize our lives. And each season is characterized by an activity of our life. For example, our time as a student is a time to learn. Our time at a particular job is a time to practice the skills we need for that job and to work with that particular work team. And a time as a parent is a time of time of responsibilities and to raise children and care for them. Well, this week, we'll focus on the lesson that Ecclesiastes gives us at least half a dozen times. The teacher tells us to enjoy the gifts that God has given you. Enjoy the gifts that God has given you. When we put on the perspective of God, we take hold of something with meaning, something that is with substance, Now, does this mean we have to give up wealth, pleasure, wisdom, and status? Well, no, because God can give us any one of those, at least to those who please him. And to please God, we must have God in our heart and not the blind pursuit of our earthly goals under the sun, if you will. Let me start with an example of a meaningless activity that we may try to turn into something meaningful. Perhaps you've been pursuing wealth and you've accumulated wealth and you realize that, well, this is without meaning. But you say, ah, maybe I'll leave it to my children and through that I will give this activity meaning. Well, the teacher says in chapter 2, verse 21, a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, but then they must leave all they own to someone who has not toiled for it. 
verse 23. All the days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. And these lines are true when you think about it. I mean, I think they're true in our heart. In the case of wealth, the problem is we can't take it with us. Ultimately, it is meaningless. At worst, it keeps you up at night worrying about it, as the teacher says. And that part about leaving a legacy? Well, I'm, I'm old enough to start about leaving my stuff to my children. And when you decide that, the natural question, natural question is, well, what will my children do with their inheritance? To be honest, I, I look at some of the things my kids spend their money on, and I just want to cover my face and cry. And I say, this is what I worked so hard for? Now, I don't go to a gym. My daughter loves the gym. She loves her personal trainer. However, and you know, I want to support her. I love her. But this is just an expense that does not resonate with me. Now, now kids, those of you who have living parents, so I could go up to, from, all the way from 20 to 60. Your parents notice what you do spend your money on. And although they may not say anything, they, they do notice. Perhaps it's, and they see that perhaps it's stuff like that, hundreds of dollars a month you spend on entertainment that, that they never had. Or that gym membership and the personal trainer time. Or that six-figure destination wedding that you are planning, you know. Now, what our children do with their inheritance is, of course, their business. We do not have control over it. It's not what gives their lives meaning. It's a meaningless activity to try to turn something that we do under the sun into something that is meaningful. And the teacher says that it's not the nature of the work or who benefits from it that gives satisfaction. Satisfaction with our work, what we do today, comes from God. Satisfaction is a gift from God. This is the, the constant theme of Ecclesiastes, that without God, everything under the sun is meaningless. But with God, our work has meaning. Well, in the scriptures, we see the story, uh, story of wealth where we can look at the interaction between riches that have meaning and riches that don't. Let's take the story of Jesus and the rich young man. In the Gospel of Matthew, in, chapters, in verse 16, a rich young man comes to Jesus and asks, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven. Then come, follow me. This is the same lesson that Ecclesiastes gives us. It's not our earthly treasure that matters, but our heavenly treasure. Now, the rich young man did not have the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Because when the rich young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. 
He was unable to give up that wealth that he felt he had earned. He could not accept the gift that God was offering him. And can you imagine that gift? To become a follower of Jesus, to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from God himself. I, I can't even imagine such a privilege. But the man turned his back upon it. The problem was not in the wealth. The problem was in his heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 makes this distinction. In verse 19 it says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on their days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. It's not the what, the wealth. It's our relationship with God which leads to the enjoyment of the gifts we have. That rich young man that his heart's what prevented him from accepting that gift of God. Now the same thing is true of everything that the teacher says is worthless. Wealth, pleasure, wisdom, status. And we can also be tempted with the seasons of our life. We can be tempted by what we want to be in the future. We also can be tempted by what's in the past, to return to a time to how things were in the past. We see this in the media and, and slogans today. And this is the third bit of wisdom from Ecclesiastes, where this becomes important, that there are seasons. And we can become just obsessed with wealth, pleasure, and status as with an obsession upon the future or the past and they can be just as meaningless. And that meaninglessness can prevent us from enjoying what we have right in front of us. Chapter three focuses on the seasons of our lives. And this chapter has particularly resonated me since my youth because it mirrors the trajectory of my life. Now my parents drilled into me the need to be successful and there were certain steps I was to follow to ensure that success. I had to do well in school, in grade school, and in high school so I could get into a good college. I had to get into a good college so I could get a good job. And I had to get a good job so I could earn lots of money and be successful. I could see my life divided into these various seasons. And in one way, I found this freeing because it, it freed me from concentrating on one thing at a time. I did not have to worry about what was in the future or what was in the past. For me, this was a gift from God. However, I have seen young people around me today where this is not a gift. Instead of the freedom to concentrate on one area, it becomes a burden that can never be satisfied. You know, the, the student can never do well enough and forbid they don't get an A plus, right? They're devastated at that. So maybe 
the students and maybe their parents don't have an appreciation for the gifts that God is offering them right now. And because without this appreciation, they can't accept it. They can just leave God's gifts sitting on the table and they turn their back on it as a rich young man did. So as I ponder the seasons of my life, I, I can tell that the gifts that God give us may not be obvious all the time, and each gift is unique to the season of life that we find ourselves in. So 12 years ago, I had a season of caring for an elderly parent that I could enjoy. I know that sounds strange, but my mother had developed dementia. She needed help managing her business. She had rental houses that, that she got her retirement income from. She needed help paying the bills. She needed someone to drive her to and from doctor's appointments. As her only child, she needed me. I did not think I had the time for this. I had other responsibilities. But God responded. He, at the, my tasks at work became lighter, so I, I had the mental energy to, to focus on my mother. My wife, Celeste, took over more of the home du duties, which gave me more time to spend with my mother's tasks. And she also gave me the precious gift of understanding so I could concentrate. I was able to care for my mother. I'm not going to lie, it was difficult at times. There were times driving up to see her that I was praying up a storm because I didn't know how I was going to deal with the emergency of the moment. It was hard. But God met me in that season and gave me a meaning to what I was doing. As we look for meaning in the seasons of our life, we can turn our desire of our eyes to the future or to the past, I said, and miss what God forgives us. But the, uh, there's another passage in Ecclesiastes in chapter 3 where the teacher drives home his lesson. He says that he, that is God, made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. But I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and too good while they are alive. Each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is a gift of God. So the teacher tells us that no matter how much we want to know what the future will bring and may want to affect the future, that we can't because the future is in God's domain. All we can do is trust God and to enjoy today what God has given us. Now, in my personal life, I can plead guilty to living in the future. When I was in college, I had lost sight of my faith and was only living under the sun, that is, through my own abilities. I was living for the future and not enjoying the present. And it was not a happy time, tell you the truth. 
I was not living today. I, I found it meaningless, as the teacher would say. And we can hold up the past too, not just the future, as I've said, in mistaken belief that nothing better will be in the future. This too is a mistake because we underestimate the power and the generosity of our God to meet us where we are. A teacher warns us about this fallacy in chapter seven, verse 10. He says, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask these questions. I have had a time where I might wanted to have held on to the past. When I first got out of college and, and one of my first work groups, it was like heaven. It was, we were all young and excited about the future, but the group did not last. Eventually, some in the group got promoted, some went on to other jobs, and eventually I too left the group. It was sad to lose that time. It was golden when we had it. But it was a gift from God that, that I was too blind to see at the time, that I didn't recognize. But you know what? I've had other work groups that have been golden, been just as great to be in. You know, they weren't necessarily magical when I joined the groups, but over time they became great. This too was a gift from God. So we do not need to hold on to the past or to the future to have a good experience. Instead, look for the blessing of one of God's gifts for us right now. Now this is also true in your church life. Perhaps you've never thought about that. There have been good times and shall I call transition times in, in my church life. At a past church, we had a pastor who really resonated with me and there was a great music director and it was like you were, I was in heaven, I thought. But it didn't last. That season changed. The, Staffing changed. The pastor left, was replaced with someone else. There was a new music director. And they just didn't resonate with me. I was kind of longing for the past in that case. Well, God gave me the gift of helping out in the service. Somehow he, he got me to volunteer to be on the technical team. I'd, I used to assemble the slides, run the visuals in the back, what everyone would see on Sunday morning. I contributed to the service as part of my time and my talent. And I began to feel more and more like an active participant in the service. It, it was less being a consumer of the worship service and actually worshiping God through what I was doing. And I enjoyed it. And it was, I got the gift of enjoying the service more and more, and I was, it was unexpected. So this is a hint, we need staff here. See Todd Dunn, volunteer to help. But as I said, this was a gift, but true, this was a gift from God. And that acceptance of that gift has led me to accept other gifts in the future. God, God built upon that. 
And it is, a, I still find it today, a joy to be participating in the worship service. I imagine the, the singers can, can nod their heads and Todd and everyone else. It's a joy to be part of the service. And it's a joy to be in front of you today. But if I had my eyes only focused on the past, how great it used to be, I would have missed that gift. The teacher tells us to enjoy what we have Enjoy what we had had before. Enjoy what we have now. And have confidence that whatever awaits us in the future, whatever God's going to give us, that we will enjoy that too. One other thing that I love about Ecclesiastes is that it's very truthful. It tells us what life is really like. Describes all of life, both the good times and the not-so-good times, the times we would rather skip. The very beginning of the book, the teacher bemoans that all things are wearisome, more than one can say. And we can all resonate with this at times, I think. Now, the teacher cannot list all the bad situations that we find ourselves in. The breakup of a relationship, the death of a loved one, Perhaps a sin we, we just can't forgive ourselves of. The inability to make ends meet financially or the illness of ourselves or a loved one. I'm sure the list could go on and on, even within this, this room here. But the teacher does warn us about trying to find meaning in our current misfortune. Chapter 7, verse 13, the teacher writes... Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. That God has made one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. The teacher says to not chase after an explanation for where we are. Instead, the teacher repeats his refrain that we should live for today. Enjoy what we have for what God has given us. And Jesus tells us the same thing. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or about what you will wear. In verse 32, for the pagans run after these things. The pagans being those who are living under the sun. Continuing, and your heavenly father knows what you need. But first, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be, will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about, for, about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So if we're not to worry about the bad times, how should we react to them? The teacher says in chapter 9, verse 9, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do it, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. 
Note that the teacher does not say to passively live in the situation we find ourselves in, but to work at it with all your might. So if you have toil, work, work at it with all your might. That's, that's his point. Now I can th- think of examples from my past that demonstrate this. When my church changed, my gift was gift of service in supporting the church even more. When my mother needed care, it was the gift of a supported spouse and the release of my death grip on my time. And it was a pleasure to serve someone else. It will be different for each of us. But the presence of God and his gift will be the same. That will be there for us all. Now I want to close with a few examples of how we might embrace the bad times and look for God's gift. If it is your season to grieve, then pray and embrace it. Accept the time to grieve the loss of a loved one. Don't shove it away. God loves you compassionately. Look for the gifts of God and God will be with us as we process our grief. If this is your season to build a new life, pray to release the old, both the new good and the bad parts about your old life. There was a season for this life, and now there is a transition to a new season. In the same way God knows what you need, what the birds of the air need, God knows what you need, and he will give you a gift for this season. Mourn the old and accept today with this grief and pain because God has created them both. Look forward to the gift of God's future gift that he will give you. If this is a season to get your finances in order, pray to let go of past desires and expectations. Accept that these were for a different time. Accept God's wisdom as you, for today as you rebuild your resources. You know, like the Israelites wandering in the desert after they escaped Egypt, God provided with their daily bread, the manna from heaven. And so too, God will give you enough for today. If this is a season to deal with mental or physical illness, whether in yourself or a loved one, Pray to accept the burden as you experience it today. Ask for Jesus' help. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, if this is a sin we we can't forgive ourselves of, pray to let go of that past guilt. You've already repented. That is, you already regret the sin. Put closure on that past time. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, that do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, 
and you will be forgiven. Stop judging yourself. Forgive yourself and accept this gift from Jesus and do not sin again. You know, these are just a few of the wonderful gifts that God has for us, even in times we would rather forget. The, you know, the alternative to not doing that, to not looking for God's gifts, is to you know, live a meaningful, meaningless life in pursuit of our own goals under the sun, things we cannot change or meaningless, or a future that we cannot know, or a past filled with meaningless activities that's too late to change. And if we focus on today, we, we chase after the wind, and that too is meaningless. The lesson of Ecclesiastes is to enjoy the gifts God has given all of us today. And the teacher says, too, that it's God who gives meaning to our lives. The difference between a meaningless and a meaningful life is in our heart. And we should open our hearts to enjoy the gifts that God has given us in this, our current season of life. So let me close in prayer. Almighty and all-powerful God, you are in control of the future and the past. We trust in your design of our lives. We thank you for the golden season of the lives we find ourselves in today. We thank you for past blessings that you have showered upon us. We thank you that you provide what we need today so we do not need to be concerned about tomorrow. Deliver us from the temptation to grasp for just a little bit more wealth, pleasure, wisdom, or status. Deliver us from the temptation to use you as a means for our desires. Instead, acknowledge that it is you who give meaning to our lives. Help us to see the gifts you give us each and every day. We ask your blessings too on those on the Arizona trip. Show your gifts to them today. May they appreciate your love through this. Good morning, church. Great to be, be back with you. Todd, thank you so much for uh, sharing and leading the new members class. What a joy to have so many people joining uh, the church. Uh, I've been gone for a few weeks, uh, traveling around in South Africa and Zambia and Zimbabwe. Uh, and uh, just great to be, to be back with you. I want to uh, just let you know real quick before we hear the benediction of what to expect. Uh, next week, we're starting a new series on the Psalms. And this is... Uh, going to be, I think, an adventure for us as we learn that you can pray to God with whatever is inside of you, whether that is gratitude and praise, or that's anger and rage and confusion. The Psalms have it all, and they give voice to all of that. But no matter what's going on inside of us, it's okay, and we can lift that up to God. And so uh, as I kick that off next week, we hope you'll come back and join us for that, uh, that adventure of exploring uh, the many facets uh, of prayer. If you're new with us, we really want to get to know you. We want to connect with you. And so we've got a couple of invitations for you. The first one is uh, right over here, we're going to have a, a seven-ish minute meeting, super quick, uh, and just a, just a chance to um, connect with you and let you know some, some of the values of our church. And uh, uh, Todd Dunn, our worship director, is going to be leading that, and we're so grateful um, uh, to get to know you. And then next week, we're going to take you on a taste-and-see tour 
uh, of the church. So if you're new with us, we'd hope you'd join us for a couple of those just to get to know us real quick. Um, and uh, Todd, would you uh, give us the benediction blessing here at the end? Sure. And also we'll have a prayer team up front here if you want to thank God for the season that you find yourself in, for the gifts that you have identified that God has given you today, or perhaps a request to help you discover the gifts that God has has given us. See, we have such a wonderful, an all-powerful, a benevolent God, and we should just be so thankful for that. So I want to encourage you as you go out today, take inventory of the gifts of God you have right in front of you and the other gifts of God that may just be waiting for you to grab a hold of and take. But by all means, go out. Give praise to God for who he is. Give thanks for the meaning that he gives our lives. And go out in thankful thanksgiving in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.